Great. Well, good afternoon and um, welcome to Local Stories from Amersham Museum. This is the first uh, of a series of programmes that we're doing and the aim is for us to share with you over the next 45 minutes uh, the stories of local people and local places from the past. This first session, we're going to look at the Weller family, uh, our local brewers, but we're going to look at a couple of other Wellers as well. And the aim of the programme really is to do a mixture of things. So we're hoping that each one will feature a short talk uh, that will look about at a particular person or place. And it might, uh, where possible, look at new research or perhaps things that we haven't shared before. We're also hoping always to have a five minute focus, which is a focus on a particular object, uh, artifact, map or document in the collection. Yes, I think that's all I wanted to say about that. So we're going to start uh, this afternoon's session with a talk from Alison Bailey, who is a trustee and a volunteer at, at the museum and a local historian. And Peter Burrows, who's also a volunteer at the museum, he does a lot around our Tudor programme, leading walks and helping with interpretation. But he's also a duty manager in the museum. And over lockdown, he's done some research about the Wellers. So I'm going to hand over to Alison, who's going to start off. Um, hi, everyone. So um, the first of our local stories that we bring you today um, are stories of the Weller family, as Emily said. And many of you will be familiar with the story of the brewery and its importance to our town. Indeed, many former brewing buildings like the Maltings and this one, now called Badminton Court, still exist. But place names such as Weller Close and Plantation Road Amersham Common are also part of the Weller legacy and a reminder of our past. Over 170 years ago, sorry, over 170 years of local history came to an end in 1945 when this lady on the left, Gladys Fawcett, the eldest child of George and Blanche Weller, put her family estate, the plantation, up for auction. On the right is an extract from the museum sale brochure and you can see from this what a substantial property it was, sort of some 60 acres, glass houses, walled garden, etc. Well, Gladys was born in the house in 1872, and she moved back with her husband after her widowed father's death in 1929. She was widowed herself before World War II um, and then stayed on at the house. But running such a large estate on her own must have been a challenge. And when the war was over, Gladys sold up. Amersham Council bought the estate for much needed social housing. And several roads were built on the land in the late 40s and early 50s. And these new roads start up around Weller Close up here um, and come right down to Rams Road at the bottom here. And as you can see on the right, there's um, an early council house in Weller Close. That photo we know was taken around 1950. And plantation itself was divided into nine flats and renamed Park Place. And this survived until 1976 when Amersham Council demolished it and built around 130 flats on the site just around here. However, of course, the auction that really changed the history of Amersham had taken place some years earlier in 1929. And this was when Gladys's brother, Gerard, against his father's wishes, sold the company to Benskins of Watford. The Amersham site closed um, soon after the sale 
as the new owners decided not to use it as a bottling plant. And this meant loss of all jobs. And as well as was the largest employer in the town, this was a bitter blow and caused much hardship. If you like, it was Amersham's own Wall Street crash. But let us start at the beginning. In the early 1770s, when a 44-year-old brewer and maltster from High Wycombe, William Weller, moved to Amersham. The 1770s were turbulent years. George III was on the throne. James Cook was exploring the Pacific Ocean and mapping Australasia. And America was about to declare its independence. Amersham was a small rural town, but it was relatively prosperous. Thanks to the coaches traveling from London to Birmingham and Reading to Hatfield, which stopped in the town. It had a weekly market and a grand market hall. The current Lord of the Manor, William Drake had just completed this fashionable new house at Chardelot's using his wife's wealth, which was created by the South Sea Company. The town itself contained fine coaching inns and gentlemen's houses, which were mostly owned by brewers, as there is a long history of brewing in Amersham and money in beer. William Weller, here on the left, bought part of the Church Street Brewery. He moved to the town with his wife, Anne, and six children, with several more born here. William was almost exactly the same age as the local squire, William Drake on the right, who as well as the new manor house, owned most of the land and property in the town. He was also the largest employer by far. His brother John was the rector and William was one of the town's two MPs. His son was the other one, so as you can see, the Drakes had total control of the town. But our William, William Weller, had profitable investments in High Wycombe to support the investment in Amersham, and by the time of his death in 1802, he had built the brewery into a substantial business for three of his sons to inherit. At which point, I will hand over to Peter to tell you about the next generation. Well, on the north side of St Mary's Church, near the west door, is the Weller family memorial plot. Nine graves, naming in all 21 people. Everyone a Weller, except one, George Channer. George Channer of Black River, Jamaica. Uh, he was the husband of one of the Weller girls, and I'll come back to him later. But it does give a clue that the Weller story is not just one of a simple brewing family. The founder of the dynasty, William Weller, had at least six sons and four daughters, and although one son died in infancy, three of the sons became brewers like their father, John, William and Joseph. And it's Joseph I'm going to focus on here. He married Mary Brooks, who was the daughter of a maltster uh, in, in Aylesbury. And it, they married in 1801. And his first two sons, Joseph Brooks Weller and George Weller, were baptised here in Amersham. Now, Joseph suffered from consumption, tuberculosis. And he was advised to move to a warmer coastal climate. And he did so in about 1806 or 1807. We know he was there in 1807 because his first surviving daughter, Mary Brooks Weller, was baptised there. And later another daughter, Anne, and the youngest, but perhaps most daredevil of the sons, Edward. 
Now, this is still research in progress. There are some loose ends to be cleared up. But in, 18, in the 1820s, the uh, two older sons, Joseph and George, made separate reconnaissance trips to Australia. And after returning to England, persuaded the whole family to emigrate. Joseph and the youngest son, Edward, went first in 1829, and they were followed a year later by brother George with his new wife, Eliza, his father and his wife, and George's two surviving sisters. So they all emigrated to Australia. Um, his father, having sold his business and property um, in and around Folkestone for a large sum of money. Part of that money um, was invested in land um, in Australia, but part was invested in setting up a shipping and a whaling business in Sydney. And that actually seems to have become quite successful. And the reason for showing that is because in 1831, Joseph and Edward set off in the whaler the Lucianne, it was owned by the Weller Company, they set off for New Zealand to set up a whaling business. Um, and they landed near what later became the city of Dunedin. They landed at a place called Weller's Rock, although the Maoris already had a name for it, which I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. But they Despite some setbacks, they did become successful quite quickly, employing 80-odd people there, not just at Weller's Rock, but on half a dozen other whaling stations. They were farming, they were selling supplies to visiting ships, and so on. And Edward um, had children uh, with at least two Maori women, uh, and one of his grandsons became a celebrated rugby footballer. Edward also insisted on actually captaining, captaining some of the whaling expeditions. And as you can see from the picture, that's a bit of an iffy business. Um, and his brother, George, back in Sydney, was really quite concerned about it. But um, Edward was a bit determined. Um, when his elder brother, Joseph, died of tuberculosis in New Zealand, Edward had him shipped back to Sydney in a barrel of rum. Now, the whaling business declined somewhat in the late 1830s, and George, back in Sydney, was quite keen to pull out, but Edward was a bit persistent, um, and it was only after some rather dodgy land deals that Edward finally left New Zealand. He handed over the remainder of the business, which was still quite successful because they were farming and supplying ships and so on, handed over the remaining business to a guy called Charles Schultz. And guess what? Charles Schultz later married his sister, Anne Weller. Now, towards the end of 2020, sea shanties became very popular on TikTok, and in particular one sea shanty known as the Weller Man. 
And the sea shanty tells the story of whalers waiting for the supply ship, the Weller Man, in other words, one of the ships run by the Weller Company of Sydney, to bring them sugar, tea and rum. It also tells the story of the rather obstinate captain who, having harpooned a whale, won't cut the line, despite the whale towing the boat for days on end. Now, surely that captain must be based on the obstinate Edward Weller. Interestingly enough, just a few years later, in 1842, Herman Melville joined that way, that very way that Lucy Ann, that the brothers had gone to New Zealand in. He joined it in the Marquesas Islands, whence it sailed to Tahiti. Now, of course, Melville was the... Uh, author of Moby Dick, and once tempted to speculate that perhaps Edward Weller was not only the inspiration for the Wellerman Sea Shanty, but also the inspiration for Captain Ahab. Okay, now the mention of sugar and rum brings us to another Weller connection through cousins of the three Australian brothers. Their, their, Joseph Weller, their father, had left the brewery, you remember, in about 1806, leaving his two brothers, John and William, in charge. William had at least six sons and two daughters. Most of the sons died relatively young, and only the fourth son, uh, another William, went into the brewery. But the oldest son, Henry, who is uh, here, Henry Weller there, and Henry Weller there, the oldest son went to Black River in Jamaica. Um, where he was involved in a partnership, probably accountancy and that sort of work, um, with George Channer. And although the partnership uh, was later dissolved, Hen Henry took over the whole business. Now, Black River was a slaving port. Henry, as you can see here, had two children with Sarah Smith, who is described as a free mulatto. Free means she's not a slave, and mulatto means that she was a child of one black and one white parent. And Henry actually died in 1815. Um, now, Henry's brother, younger brother, John Lacey Weller, also in um, Black River at the time, and he too had children with local women, um, there's John Weller there, 
and uh, John Lacey Weller here. Um, the first two of these children with Anne Thompson, um, well, she is described, as you can see here, rather distressingly, actually, as a Negro belonging to Mary Hook. Um, whereas his next partner, um, Dorothy Helen Stewart, is described as people of colour. Um, although John Lacey Weller died in 1823, um, his descendants, well, at least one of his descendants, received some compensation under the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 um, by freeing their slaves. Sophia Weller had three slaves and was awarded 65 pounds, 13 shillings and 11 pence. And Sophia must have been um, a descendant of one or other of these uh, women. Now, I mentioned right at the beginning, George Channer. Now, George Channer, um, he was in a business partnership with Henry Weller, but seems to have been rather disreputable character because he left um, Black River secretly in 1813, has since disappeared, getting off the island. Um, he left various debts behind. Not only was he disreputable from that point of view, but he had earlier returned from Jamaica to Amersham in order to marry Mary Weller, the eldest daughter of William Weller, and therefore she was the sister of Henry and John Lacey. And this despite the fact that George Channer already had a family in Black River. Um, his family, um, George Channer, had at least nine children with Mary back in England, but in addition, three more with Sarah Delano, um, who was described on the baptism records as a free mestize, um, free, not a slave, and mestize is a term used in Hispanic America for children of mixed European and indigenous descent. Note finally that in all, well, oh, that the children were described as white by law, um, and that these children, and indeed all the other children I've shown you today, the, the fathers were described as reputed fathers. That, in fact, does not mean that the fatherhood was being questioned, but simply that they were born out of wedlock. And at which point, back to boring old Amersham. Alison? Thanks, Peter. Um, I'm now going to tell you a bit more about the later generations of the Weller family and particularly the family at the plantation. So George inherited the brewery with two brothers after his father's death in 1859. And this is in fact a portrait of his father, William, on the left. As surprisingly, we don't have a photo or portrait of George, um, and we're really hoping that one does come up. But this is as close as we can get at the moment. So George was the youngest brother, 
youngest of three brothers and had started working in the brewery as soon as he finished school. The Waller children appear to have been educated first at home by tutors, then at school in Amersham before boarding at Brighton. In 1871, George left his widowed mother Lydia and young siblings at Romsey's, the family home next to the brewery, to marry Blanche Heath Masterman when he was 27 and Blanche was 22. And as you can see from this gorgeous portrait of Blanche on her wedding day, she was quite a catch. She was beautiful and wealthy. Her father was a successful brewer in Wanstead in Essex, and he had recently died, leaving Blanche with a substantial inheritance. She was married from her brother's home at Woolworth Castle in County Durham, where she'd been living in some style with footmen and a butler, so presumably her expectations were set quite high at the start of her marriage. There was evidently a, a network of brewers with families socialising together. I think Peter mentioned a, a brewery marriage earlier, but George's mother Lydia had been heiress to a brewery in Hemel. So these newlyweds bought a house from Lord Chesham at Amersham Common, and they named it Plantation Cottage. And you can just see the plantation here on the um, right-hand side. And due to the family's links in the Caribbean, presumably, as explained by Peter, but they dropped the name Cottage as the house massively extended and upgraded. Now, Amersham Common was still very rural in the 1870s. This map is actually much later. In 1871, scattered across the common, which stretched from Hyde Heath to Little Chalfont, there were only a handful of pubs, labourers' cottages, and a few country estates, such as Bendrose Grange and Beale House. The rest of the common was farmland and included um, Hirons, Quill Hall, Rans, and Woodside Farm, shown here, um, which was owned by the Wellers. However, this was definitely an aspirational move. The house is situated between Chardelows and Latimer House, the, um, the home of Lord Chesham and the Cavendish family, and George Weller wanted to create his own country estate, which is indeed what he did, as these rather grainy photos show you. So this is the exterior of the house, the greatly extended plantation cottage. Then we've got an interior of the dining room, and these are from our sales brochure. I'm afraid they're, they're poor quality, but at least they give you some idea of the property. And this is the parkland, which you can see was very extensive. So the Weller fortune substantially increased in 1887 when George sold 44 acres of the neighboring farmland to the Metropolitan Railway, capitalizing on his family's early investment. George was one of the first of the local businessmen to appreciate the new development opportunities heralded by the arrival of the railway. And in 1893, opposite the new station, he built the Station Hotel, later known as the Iron Horse, which was demolished in 2004. And he also laid out building plots along the new Station Road, where it passed through Woodside farmland. As the family prospered, the number of indoor staff employed at the plantation increased until a footman, a butler's and a lady's maid were also employed, in addition to the normal housemaids, cooks and kitchen maids. There were even more outdoor staff, with a groom, stable boys, a coachman, undercoachman, later a chauffeur, and several full-time gardeners. Now, the Bucks Family History Society recently discovered this wages ledger kept by George Weller, which is a fantastic source for more research, and is now deposited at the Bucks archives. Sadly, we can't get to those at the moment, but we should be able to shortly. 
So Gladys was followed by two brothers, Gerard Masterman, who was destined to join his father in the brewery and live at Romsey's, and Carl and Lacey, who became a civil engineer and inherited the adventurous Weller gene. He worked as a railway surveyor in Borneo, Africa and Brazil. Apparently he was an excellent figure skater and skied into his 80s. And Gladys herself was a serious croquet player and All England club champion at Wimbledon when it was more famous for croquet than tennis. So George's death in 1929 was at the end of his influence on the town, however. In 1930, the Weller estate was planned by the Metropolitan Railway Company to build new houses on the remaining Woodside farmland. The estate was never completed, but the undeveloped land was bought by the council and used for community buildings and playing fields. Most of the town's recreational space, including Marl Meadow and Old Amersham, and Amersham Cricket Club and Amersham Common, was originally Weller land. As the Weller family found in many of the town's sports clubs, and a keen sportsman himself, George would have been particularly proud of this. And so finally, at the end of the Weller dynasty in Amersham, we can see how things were changed in the town. When Wellers was founded in 1775, the Drake family had all the power and wealth, but by the 1900s, the Wellers are up there with them. The, brewer, the brewery was now the largest employer, and both families were substantial landowners that profited from the arrival of the railway. Both were respected as local gentry and shared the same lifestyle, their country pursuits and grand houses. This is one of the salons in Chardelot's on the left and the plantation dining room again on the right. So you can see, you know, there's um, elements of grandeur in both. They both hold summer fates in their extensive grounds and their wives have similar roles. They support various charitable causes in the town, give out school prizes and judge roses. Both men participate in local politics as justice of the peace and conservative councillors on the district and country and county councils. And finally, they have both lost their country estates by the end of World War II. Luckily, Chardelot's was saved from demolition in the 1950s, but what a pity that such a fine arts and craft house was lost in 1976 and almost no records remain of it. It's living in Amersham now. I think the answer is no. As far as we, unless someone in this audience wants to say otherwise, I think we found some in um, Surrey and places like that, didn't we, Alison? But I think they're probably the closest. We've got another question, which is, which ales did they brew? I think that is um, a question we'd all like to answer. Alison, do you want to say anything about that? Um, the only one I'm, I'm very familiar with is the um, Wellers Entire which I understand was um, like a Guinness. And I think we'd love to find the recipe and recreate it for town. Rebellion Brewery in, in Marlow have got the original Marlow Brewery recipe and that's what they use. And I think it'd be great if it could be found. I have spotted that we've got Malcolm Weller um, in the crowd. I don't know if that's Malcolm Weller from, who is one of the most local Wellers that we know. Yes, there are quite a number of uh, Wellers in the audience at the moment and um, almost direct well direct descendants of William Weller um, of 1727 who founded the brewery um, and um, but we did break off a little after that I have to admit my memory of the family tree is uh, it keeps waning um, but we were we're a descendant of um, the butcher 
Thomas Weller, the butcher. Who yeah, that was, was the, the son who didn't actually go into the brewery, wasn't it? I think it was the second son. Yes. Yeah. Um, but also there's a lot of this information um, that my aunt, who should be in the uh, audience as well, uh, that's Barbara Weller, she collected a lot of this information and, uh, and I put it onto a family tree website, uh, which I think, uh, Peter, you have been looking at. I have been looking at, and our listener, I think. Yes, me too. It's a really useful source. Thank you very much, Barbara Malcolm. It's Samane's source, really. There's also quite a lot of information at the um, Otago University in New Zealand, who I've um, contacted this week as well about using some of their photos. But there's some fantastic stuff on there. Um, I found a really good PhD um, dissertation about... Um, the Wellers and Whaling. So if anyone wants to find out more, there's there's quite a lot of stuff out there on the internet. We are going to pu um, publish an article on, a new article shortly on our website, which will have lots of these links and the sources, so you will be able to find them by those sources as well. Actually, I'm going to ask a question, because I thought, the, the, prior, to, prior to the brewing business with, with Weller, do you know where they came from originally? Or was that, was that mentioned earlier? Well, they start, well, they, they, I think uh, William Weller the first, so to speak, moved f to High Wycombe from somewhere in Oxford. When was that? Well, he, well, William Weller was born in 1727. So uh, I'm not quite sure when he moved to High Wycombe, um, or at least when his parents presumably moved to High Wycombe. But I think the, the family tree that Malcolm was talking about does go quite a long way back further than that. Interesting to know why they came to High Wycombe, for instance. Yeah. Well, it's a big town, isn't it? It's on the, the main road. Um, it's the um, A40, isn't it? Well, it wasn't called the A40 in those days, but it was the main road to Oxford and the, the West. Mm. I can see Sue Weller, Sue X Weller has got a hand up. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say thank you very much for doing this. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds of Wellers all around the, the world. We actually lived in Great Missenden in the 1970s and used to visit um, Amersham quite a lot. Um, and so I'd been imbibed with Weller history. My my um, great my grandfather was was part of the Weller family, but didn't take uh, take uh, take uh, an well wasn't included in the in the brewery itself. Um, but the story always was that um, in the middle of the nineteenth century, the Wellers had so many children, and they decided to educate them all, the girls as well as the boys, and that's how they lost all their money, at least the ones who didn't go into the brewery. Um, but I was always told that the original William Weller came from. From Newington, which I think is in Oxfordshire, um, and they were all molsters to begin with, and so um, they were they were involved in in, uh, um, in in the farming, and so it was natural to move to Great uh, to um, Amersham, of course, where there was water round the uh, original brewery, um, so there, it was natural for them to move across there and the Jiltons. Thank you very much, anyway, for doing it all. Um, thank you, Sue. That sort of fits with what I knew as well. And they all seem to have very large families. And we found lots of the younger brothers seem to become clergymen. Um, so we've got a long line of Weller clergymen as well. 
as well as adventurers and whalers and what have you. There's yeah. a, yeah. a lot of people wasn't properly married unless they were married by one of the family, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the wellers, in fact, my relation, married the daughter of the vicar of Chesham. And there was an enormous wedding there um, between uh, um, Chesham and um, she got they got married, I think, in can't remember where they got married in Chesham or in Amersham now. Um, and as you're right, the hundreds and hundreds of wellers, and a lot of them were clergymen. And off. one of them became um, Bishop of the Falklands. A weller mm -hmm. became a Bishop of the Falklands. So. Um, also, uh, your your relative then was the Edward Weller, George's older brother. And you're right, then him and his wife, I think it was Edith or Gladys, Edith, I think, um, who was the rector's daughter, had a huge family. And she was widowed very young. Edward died young. I'm leaving her with all these children to educate. And she sold up her share of the brewery to George and moved to Brighton, where the children seemed to be educated. And then yeah, the she, families that were in Brighton for a while. She was actually my great great grandmother. So Edward, yeah, she married uh, Edward. So um, <clears throat> yeah. And in fact, my daughter, who was in New Zealand two years ago, visited the Weller Rock and had a photograph of herself taken by the Weller Rock. So uh -huh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This is exactly what we hoped would happen, really, is that people would listen and share their stories. So, um, you know, hopefully this is the beginning of a conversation. So if there's things that you'd like to share with the museum or I mean, there's the excellent website as well the weller website we'd be really delighted to you know hear from you outside of today as well um we're going to move on now to um, um our five minute focus uh and so today the five minute focus is not surprisingly has a weller theme so um i'm going to tell you a little bit over the next five minutes it's going to be quite quick uh, about another George Weller, but this time not a brewer, although based on the discussion that we've just had, uh, I'm sure he is related to someone in the brewing family going way back. But uh, the lovely thing about this story is we're trying to use this section to focus on something in the collection that's new or that you perhaps might not have seen before. And this is today we're looking at a series of photographs and reminiscences which have been sent to me from Australia. So we're carrying on that link a little bit with a couple um, that have Amersham links and uh, the wife of that couple, the donor, uh, the, this is her parents in this photograph. So on the left, we have uh, Ernest Weller, who was known as George um, because his father was also called Ernest. And that's his wife there, um, Evelyn May Fountain. So, uh, and it's the parents of the lady that I've been corresponding with. Um, Evelyn was born in 1910 uh, and her uh, husband, uh, Ernest, known as George, was born in 1909. So this is a photograph that features Ernest, who I'll call from George from now on because that's how he's known. That's him on the far left there. And in this photograph, which is much later in the 1930s, he's featured here. Uh, with his, a couple of his siblings and some of his friends. And for those of you who are less familiar with Amersham, in the background of that photograph, that's the workhouse, uh, which later became Amersham Hospital and is now Flats, which is on Wealdon Street in Amersham. 
Um, so George Weller was the son of uh, Mary Ann Smith, who was from High Wycombe, and the aforementioned Ernest Senior, who was from Loudwater uh, and born in 1877. And we know from the 1911 census that in um, the couple... Uh, in 1911, had six children and were living in Berry End in Amersham. This is another one of all of these, bar one of photographs which I've been sent um, from the donor in Australia. Uh, this is another photograph here of George. Um, and uh, what she also sent along with the photographs were some reminiscences written by George. They're particularly touching because they were written by him during World War II whilst he was serving as a driver for the Royal Engineers. So he was away from home trying to put down uh, the memories of his life to date. Um, and in that, he talks about his early childhood. He talks about his experiences of the Spanish flu. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about his first job. And I'm gonna read you a little bit of what he's written. As the eldest son, I was the first to start work and my first job was a paper round early morning then a grocer's assistant for the rest of the day for the sum of 10 shillings a week. This is probably about 1925, uh, I think. Working some evenings as late as 10 p.m. after walking three miles with a heavy basket of groceries to deliver and two gallons of paraffin in my other hand, both of which became very heavy before the end of three miles. Now, not surprisingly, having to walk three miles with that paraffin and all the groceries, George only lasted in that job for about a year. And uh, after that, he found himself at the plantation estate where he got himself a job working as a learner gardener uh, for his namesake, George Weller. He seems to have been very happy there because he worked there for six years uh, and it was also there that he met his wife, Evelyn. I'm going to read to you now a little bit about some of his reminiscences of working there as a gardener. By the end of my first year, I found a better job as a learner gardener on the estate of England's largest privately owned brewery for a millionaire whose name was the same as my own, George Weller. I spent six happy years there where I made several good friends, including the cook and Mr. Jack Lane, who imparted to me a great deal of his vast store of knowledge and experience in indoor and outdoor gardening. The other boy, Joe Hans and myself, had some grand larks, which caused Tom Wall, the groom, to chase us into the orchard with his coach whip. <laughs> it sounds like he really enjoyed his time there, but uh, notwithstanding the coach whip. The other great thing about them sending me these photographs and the reminiscences has um, kind of, it's given me an opportunity to look back and check what we had in the collection. And this was a photograph, the only photograph that I thought we had of the plantation estate. Uh, and it's then that I went back and looked at the sale catalogue and realised that we had the pictures of the house that Alison showed you. Um, but by sending this photograph to the couple in Australia, they were able to identify that this was their George on the left. So they were really delighted to see the picture. Um, and this is a photograph of George working uh, with his fellow gardeners, cutting the lawn, mowing the lawn uh, at the plantation. This is another photograph that they sent, and this, we think, is them digging the lily pond on the estate, uh, which looks like lots of hard work. Um, the other thing that he notes, he does give a little bit in what he's written down about the scale of the estate, which was detailed in that sale catalogue, but I suppose he adds 
a little bit more to it. So one of the things he talks about are the eight glass houses on the plantation and that one of his jobs was to go around and light the fires for them. And he said that's effectively how he wooed Evelyn, that she would only go for a short walk with him to start with. But by the end, he got her to go around and help him light the light the fires for the glass houses. One of the loveliest stories, which is where I really want to finish, that they then uh, recounted to us was um, George meeting George. So uh, one day, apparently, uh, George, let's call him George Weller the Brewer, was walking around his estate and having a look at, uh, look at the garden, and he comes across George the gardener. He asks George the gardener his name, to which he honestly replies, George Weller. George Weller the Brewer was so cross that he thought he was being impertinent that he was sacked on the spot. Um, it seems that uh, George was a good employer and all was explained and uh, he did get his job back, hence the fact that he was able to work there for six years. Uh, and I suppose the fact that uh, a sort of testimony really to George the brewer as a good employer was on his death, George the gardener notes that every member of staff on the estate was given once wages. This is the photo I showed you at the beginning. So this is him in a later job after he left the plantation, uh, a photo of him with Evelyn. And um, what's been great about the things that they've sent is it's added this detail and colour. So some of the names he's mentioned, particularly now we've got this wages book, we'll be able to cross-reference them. We'll be able to do a little bit more research about some of the staff that worked on the estate and hopefully build a, a richer picture of what it was like to be there. Um, Alongside George's memories of growing up in the town, we've also got Evelyn's. And so she, because she was born in Amersham, we've got the stories of her going to St George's Infant School, um, of growing up locally, of their experience of rationing. So they're two lovely stories, and it's been so great to have been sent them from far away and for us to add them to our collection. I don't know if anyone's got any comments or questions they want to ask who uh, about this George or whether they know if there's any connections. But if you do, if you want to um, put them into the chat bar now. Oh, and Malcolm, that's really helpful. I noticed that you've added in the details of the website. I was going to add those, mention those at the end. So that's great. And if anyone wants to submit any information, I know Sue was mentioning some things that uh, might be useful to be added. Uh, then please contact me and I've got my email address down there as well. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of research is always ongoing. We're always trying to find out new things. Uh, there is further information about the George Weller I mentioned, as well as the Weller family on the website. Uh, and Malcolm has posted in the chat the details um, of the Weller family website too. As I say, we are recording the session, so we will edit it and put it uh, online for people to look at. Um, but if you're interested in finding out more and anything else that we have in our collection about the Wellers, uh, okay. the photographs I've mentioned, we also have a copy of the sale catalogue when the brewery and the pubs were sold. Um, just get in touch with me. Yeah. Final thing I wanted to um, mention really was topics for future sessions, if you'd like to join us again. Uh, one of the things that we have planned to talk about are we've been doing quite a lot of research into emigre artists who uh, moved to Amersham either temporarily or permanently, particularly around the time of the Second World War. Um, and we've got some interesting research to present there. So we're certainly going to do that for another session. Um, 
For those of you in the UK, you'll know that this is a census year for us. So for March, we thought we'd do something about the history of the census and census making. Um, but if you've got any suggestions for something, uh, an object in the collection or a research topic that you'd like to, us to do a session on, then, then just let us know. <laughs>